0: Welcome to this uh, first R-Entry Live ESG, the new age of data. For this uh, first episode, we'll deal uh, with the ESG criteria, environmental, social and governance that are hot topics right now. I'm uh, Julien Delpi, the director of Punjab Club, and uh, I have the pleasure to be the, the host of today together with the Julie Lardy that I will present you afterwards. In 2018, Forbes estimated ESG investing at over 20 trillion in AUM, or around a quarter for all professionally managed assets around the world. Luxembourg has positioned itself as a key player in responsible finance through ESG funds. As measures of sustainability and ethical impact of an investment, they are synonymous of responsible investment that goes behind the financial return. The current health crisis as only reinforced their relevance, not only for investors, but also for the companies. If these new products respond to a necessary environmental awareness, which the recent health crisis has reinforced, these funds also present many economic opportunities. The challenges are numerous. The entire value chain is impacted. But what's the European regulation on ESG criteria? Is it comprehensive, uniform, clear? How can it be applied without restricting the long term potential of these financial products? What if the pressure comes from the investor themselves? ESG criteria also give a new lease of life to data, which remains the indispensable tool for measuring the sincerity as well as the effectiveness of a fund or an asset. These are the questions and issues that RN's experts will be addressing today in order to offer new insights to present practical cases as well as concrete solutions on this subject. Today, we have the pleasure to uh, welcome Isabelle Leb, partner in the investment management practice at Arendt Medana. Good evening, Isabelle.
1: Good evening, Julia.
0: Uh, We also have together with us Philippe Véry, CEO of Arendt Business Advisory. Good evening. Good evening. And Stéphane Badet, partner Arendt Regulatory & Consulting. Good evening, Stéphane. Good evening, Julia. And as I was saying before, to lead this uh, this podcast, I have the pleasure to be uh, with Julie Lardy, the head of programming of the Paper Jam Club. Good evening, Julie.
2: Good evening Julien.
0: I think it's time to to start. Um and as an introduction, uh we will start with a statement from Isabelle Leb. She has the the, the responsibility to open this uh, this first podcast uh with her statement. Uh she's partner at Tarent, uh, a lawyer specializing specializing sorry in investment funds. She's been active for more than 15 years on the issue of the environment environmental impact of organizations. She's particularly interested in the themes of transparency having accompanied numerous clients on these teams. She will share experiences, and she has lived through a real and extremely enriching adventures. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Isabelle Leb.
3: Thank you, um, Julien. And, um, it's true that ESG is really happening now, and, um, and Luxembourg is at the forefront. And we are very much impacted by this trend in Luxembourg, mainly because of two elements. Uh, First of all, the size of the financial industry. And second, the general ambition in Luxembourg to always stay ahead of the curve when it comes to um, new developments in in the financial industry. And ESG is clearly um, a very important trend. It's not a new trend per se, but the crisis is clearly accelerating it. And we see this acceleration at, at three levels. Investors' pressure... Um, the recovery programs in the EU and regulation. Um, Investors' pressure, in fact, that is what really started the move towards ESG. The society globally is pushing for ESG, and this is not new in itself. However, the COVID-19 crisis has clearly accelerated the move. We saw four reasons during the crisis for this acceleration. First of all, we all felt vulnerable. Um, We felt that elements in our environment can actually have a very strong impact on our lives. And we realized even more how important it is to take care and to respect our environment. Um, We also stayed at home and we were not necessarily teleworking. And this gave us time to think and to reset our priorities with a clear emphasis on um, improved quality of life. And that explains an an increased interest for well-being. And well-being is very much included in the S and the G of ESG. Um, The third reason is that we tested in real life what it is and how it is to travel less and to work from home. And we saw that it worked. And we saw that it was easier than expected. And we also saw the results of less traffic, less pollution in the air, more birds, um, deers, much more visible close to the cities. And that also explains that new trend. And then, last but not least, the fourth reason is the recovery plans for our economies, which now are clearly linked to action on the climate. And that brings me to the recovery programs in the the EU, the, the second level at which we see this acceleration towards ESG. In December last year, before the crisis, the EU Commission was presenting the Green Deal. And it was presenting this deal, and I am quoting here, as a new growth strategy that aims to transform the EU into a fair and prosperous society with a modern, resource-efficient and competitive economy, with the goal to protect the health and well-being of citizens from environment-related risk and impact. At the same time, this transition must be just and inclusive. And then the crisis hit, and the Commission is now working on a recovery plan for Europe. And this plan is in direct continuity with the Green Deal, with an aim to support the green transition to a climate-neutral economy, to support biodiversity, and notably to encourage new farming techniques. And that means that money will flow back into the economy, but under conditions which are strongly linked to ESG factors. And then the third level is regulation. And that is something we'll talk about in more detail during this podcast. So in summary, ESG is clearly a topic now. And for those which are not ready yet, the deadlines are short and the pressure will increase. And it's very much a challenge now because we do not have 100% visibility on what it is that we have to do and on how we will exactly get there.
2: Thank you for this comprehensive uh, statement, Isabel. You've already raised different points, including the need to be ready despite an admitted lack of visibility for the stakeholders. Uh, if I fit in with the, the extension of your thinking, you are making reference to asset managers and investment firms, with regard to the implementation and the integration of ESG criteria, and also to the companies to identify ESG projects for subsequent evaluation, um, aren't we in a chicken and egg uh, paradox? Stefan, uh, Philippe, what do you think? Do you have? Uh
4: I think there is a there is a sense, uh, and I probably will come clear uh, on our discussions, that it is a bit of a chicken and egg situation in the sense that you have uh, pressure on asset manager. Uh, we we'll talk about the disclosure, so reporting some informations, and being transparent to uh, to investors. And they have to rely on on data, uh, which are probably not, not around. So, uh, you know, this is uh, something that uh, is, is clearly apparent from uh, from the situation today. Now, what I hope is that we're going to be in the virtuous circle, meaning that there's going to be pressure from asset manager on targeted company to produce the data that, you know, the company will want to receive Cash. We want to invest, and so they will be willing to actually provide that data, and that you know, uh, will be then uh, communicated to uh, to investors. And so, you know, I, I want to be hopeful, and uh, that will be for the, the benefits of of everyone.
2: Thank you, Stefan. Philippe, you have...
1: yes, I, I would say very fast that we we may have a chicken, but certainly we have two eggs, and those two eggs for the moment are asset managers and and the assets and the companies themselves. Um, both sides they know reporting. But at the different extent and both sides some of them have already engaged since years in ESG programs were not called ESG but it was engaged so now what I hope is an alignment Uh, we need harmony and harmonization and alignment between all those stakeholders to work together and to bring the best case uh, to be examples for the other ones
2: thank you Uh, I think we can go ahead
0: Yeah, thank you for this first statement and thank you for this first reaction. Uh, let's let's start directly with the first part uh, of this conversation uh, together with, uh, with Julie Lardy and uh, Isabelle Lepp to talk about the, the legal side of it.
2: Yeah, thank you, Julien. Um, indeed, let's stay with you, Isabelle, to go more into details of the regulatory framework, uh, but before a first skewer of questions, if you don't mind. What is the hierarchy of roles, where does the first push come from, or in other words, are the economic and regulatory words following the societal trends, or is it actually the contrary?
3: Well, it's it's true, Julie, that the first push came from investors, and um, the economic world is, and to a certain extent will have to be, following the trend. And this because of this societal pressure and also because of the conditions attached to public support. To the extent that a company wishes to receive a loan or to benefit from a guarantee, it will have to submit a plan integrating ESG elements. And the regulatory world is following the trend. And very interestingly, there is a very clear bridge here between one the society, represented by its public authorities, i.e. the EU and the local governments, two, the regulator, and three, the financial world. So it's a bridge with three pillars, and I explain myself. With the economies at the standstill, public authorities in Europe see an opportunity to rebuild those economies, but on revised grounds, in, in ways that could help solve the climate crisis, rather than make it worse. And that is the first pillar of the bridge. That leads to the drafting and the implementation of regulation that will help do that. And regulation is the second pillar of the bridge. And in doing that, the financial world is clearly being used as a tool. Financial actors are typically channeling money, and that can be public or private money. And the regulation which is being drafted or being implemented now in the ESG area is forcing them to integrate the ESG criteria into the way they invest those public or private monies. And that is the third pillar of the bridge. And I have to say that I was very impressed those past weeks by the ambition of the regulators in in that field. Regulation was announced for the first two quarters of this year, but then We were all hit by the COVID-19 crisis and the lockdown clearly slowed down the drafting and the implementation of many pieces of um, regulation, but not, in fact, regulation relating to um, ESG. And we saw, in fact, the contrary. We saw an acceleration in the drafting and in the insurance of regulation in, in that area. And that is a very clear message, a strong signal The regulator's work on ESG was not slowed down by the crisis, it was accelerated, and that is remarkable.
2: If we consider the regulatory aspect of the ESG criteria, uh, according to you, what are the main trends in terms of regulation, and what are the rules to be applied?
3: Well, Julie, in fact, um, I would list four main trends. Um, the first one is transparency. That's really the first one that comes to my mind. Um, the message is you should tell your clients, your investors, what it is exactly that you are doing. And you should tell it in your sales documents, on your websites, and in your financial reports. And you should not missell. sell You should not greenwash. Um, and greenwashing here is to be understood as Providing misleading information about how the portfolio is environmentally sound. Um, When you greenwash, in fact, you oversell your ESG credentials. And that is something the regulator is very cautious about. Um, There is also an element of name and shame in the regulation. And that is the second main trend. And I'll get back to that because it's very important. And then data. Data is necessary to the, to the transparency and is still very much a challenge. And then the fourth main trend is reliance on experts. Um, ESG matters are highly technical and scientific matters. And, well, you know, experts are absolutely necessary in, in that area. Um, regulation now in, uh, in Luxembourg is, is felt at two levels, essentially. Um, The first one is the CSSF, so it's locally, and the second one is the um, EU level. So the CSSF, to start with, um, we saw them very active since the very first moves of our clients towards ESG, and they were, since the very beginning, cautious of greenwashing, so they were, in fact... Absolutely against uh, any attempt to provide misleading information in um, in the sales documents. They also saw very early that um, there are many shades in ESG, and um, one should make sure that it communicates its exact right shade to investors. And where, in fact, I mentioned shades, in fact, there are many ways to be. ESG, and to go into that field, and you have to be absolutely transparent about how far you're going there. The CSSF has also always been insisting on transparency in disclosures to investors, especially retail investors. And then, last but not least, they've made sure that asset managers really understand the implications of going green and switching towards ESG. They want to make sure that asset managers are fully prepared for that once they integrate these ESG criteria into their management. And they ask many questions just to make sure that um, everyone is really, really ready. And then at the European level, we see in fact... Mainly two sets of regulation. And the first one is the regulation on disclosures. And that regulation applies to all actors and products in the financial industry. So it's very broad. And um, and that includes asset managers, uh, financial advisors, uh, management companies. And um, it's also targeting many types of financial products, um, all types of funds pension products, insurance-based investment products, um, portfolios of investments, and so on. And when I say that all funds are impacted, um, that means not only the funds that um, promote um, themselves as sustainable, all funds are concerned, in fact. And the information to be disclosed to clients and investors, um, I would say, is bidirectional. Um, I mean there that it goes into two opposite directions and the first um, direction is in fact in relation to the risks the environment, the social and the governance factors may pose to your portfolio of investments and I'll give you a few examples here. Um, You may for example hold in your portfolio hotels that are located on the seafront. With the rise of the oceans, your hotels are at risk. And this risk should be measured and should be disclosed. Now, an example that is less obvious, but that is as relevant. You hold in your portfolio companies that are big issuers of carbon. And the Green Deal foresees a very significant increase in carbon emission tax. The impact of this increase on your portfolio needs to be measured and needs to be disclosed. Or even more subtle than that, um, you have in your portfolio companies which appear to be non-inclusive. You know the typical example of a board, for example, where um, they only have white men in their 50s and no other sign of inclusivity and gender diversity anywhere. That should be assessed as well, with the risk attached to this lack of inclusivity measured and disclosed. So you measure and you disclose the risk ESG factors may create for your portfolio. That is the first type of information to be provided. The second type of information goes in the opposite direction. Um, Our investments may create risks for the environment and for social and governance factors. And those needs, those risks um, need to be considered, they need to be measured, and they need to be disclosed. And that is called the disclosure of the principal adverse impact. For example, you invest in um, companies um, which still make an extensive use of plastic. Um, They sell drinks in plastic bottles, for example. That will have to be disclosed as well. And that is going to be more painful and more difficult to do. Um, First of all, because there is an element of name and shame in it. Um, Given the societal trend I just described, who wants to be seen as careless when it comes to clean and green investments? The regulation allows some of the actors in the financial market to opt out from that type of disclosure. Um, but if they want to make use of that possibility, that right, they have to explain why. And that is very difficult to do. Um, they have to do it in a way that is convincing to their investors. And given the societal trend I just described, well, it's not easy to do. Um, it's also painful and difficult in, as a disclosure because measuring the impact on the environment and on the social governance factors is not easy. In fact, there is not enough data to do that right now. Data is not always complete is not always reliable and is not always easily accessible to do that. And that is something my colleagues will explain much better than, uh, than me. Um, and, well, you know, funds that do not promote themselves as sustainable have to um, proceed to those two types of disclosure. Now, if they do promote themselves as sustainable, or if they promote environmental or social characteristics, They even have to provide more info as to, you know, how they achieve that objective and how successful they were in achieving those objectives. Now, that is the regulation on disclosure. There is a second um, regulation, which is very important, and that is the EU regulation on taxonomy. Um, That regulation on taxonomy complements the regulation on disclosures by better defining what is an environmentally sustainable activity and what is an environmentally sustainable investment. Um, First of all, it defines sustainable as an activity or an investment that contributes to um, one or several environmental objectives. And, and it's cumulative here, and that does not significantly harm any other environmental or social objective. And that is called the do not significantly harm rule. And that is very important as well. And is still very much of a challenge now in terms of you know, measuring that, assessing that, and disclosing that. So the idea is that your investment cannot create more harm than it creates benefits. The second objective of the regulation on taxonomy is to create a common classification system to determine what is environmentally sustainable. There are six EU objectives. Climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, circular economy, less pollution, protection of water and oceans, and protection of biodiversity. And the taxonomy defines criteria which allow to determine when an activity or an investment effectively contributes to one of those six objectives. So the idea here is really to create harmonization and to create consistency in the interpretation and the use of those concepts linked to the um, environment. And that taxonomy is to be used globally. Um, I mean here, not only in the financial world, it is to be used throughout by the EU as global guidelines in the context of environmental policies. It has not entered into force yet. In fact, the criteria for the two first objectives will apply at the beginning of 2022. And then the criteria for the four remaining objectives will apply at the beginning of 2023. well, in my view, all this creates an ambitious framework. Um, as always, you, you may look at this in um, in two ways. And that is the good old image of the um, half-empty, half-full glass. And it's true that we are far from perfection, but at least we are moving and we are moving fast. And I would say, in my view, done is better than perfect. And we are doing now. And that makes me optimistic. And um, I see that the political and the regulatory worlds are ambitious. And I see them tackling this issue of environment and, um, and climate change with a form of humility. And there are many examples of that in the regulations and with a clear sense of urgency. And I like that. And what I like as well is that this whole approach is built on cooperation between the public and the private sectors. And here, the regulator or the governments and the economic actors are working hand in hand and it's the right approach to it.
2: Thank you for this very, very detailed uh, answer, Isabel. I'd like to ask you one more. Um, you were, um, you mentioned, um, just before the need uh, to rely on experts, uh, can you just precise uh, what kind of experts we need to be able to rely on? Is are you referring to the regulator, asset managers, data providers, and and?
3: You know, in fact, um, environment related risk um, is something. Um, when it comes to measuring it, um, that requires scientific knowledge. Um, And that is not something (laughs) I would say politicians, regulators, lawyers typically have. So there needs to be um, consultations with experts. And those consultations are taking place, have taken place in the past. And that is very useful and, you know, that is one of those examples of humility I was just mentioning. Um, Regulators, legislators know that they have their limits and they have set up many platforms with those experts at EU and at national levels and they regularly consult them. And those experts come from the scientific world, the academic world they also come from the economy because of course there needs to be a, a, a very strong link between those i would say that scientific knowledge and the needs of the economy that need to be taken into account as well thank you
2: Stefan. maybe you want to add something about uh, data providers quality or we will you will develop it a bit later
4: yeah, no, I, I think what I like in the message of uh, Isabel is, is, is indeed the, um, the fact that we're going somewhere uh, and uh, we're not going to be perfect, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, we, we are progressing and I think we should encourage that and, and not you know, uh, kill the initiative. So uh, I think the legislator will also hear that and, uh, and be uh, you know, um, responsive to, to that message.
1: If you may, I would like to add something. I'm quite optimistic, like Isabel. but there is something I would add on top of humility, which is great, is that we will have to face forgiveness. Um, and why? Because if you look um, some two, three years ago, a very well-known um, automobile brand was basically on the top five of the the ESG compliant company. And and today, technology controls audits and whatever the evolution is making that quite different. And we have a lot of technologies today that we will push, um, believing very truly and sincerely that they are quite uh, quite well equipped to, to make a better future in terms of ESG. But maybe in some years, we will discover that it was not so pinky but it will be a good step anyway. So we need to accept that it's g- not going to be perfect to be humble, but also to to include forgiveness in the behavior we have.
2: Thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, Stefan, as well. I think we can go ahead with Jul- you, you, Julien, sorry. <music>
0: this is not a legal advice yes uh, this is not a legal advice in this part we ask uh, speakers to leave for a moment their function and their duty of reserve to ask them questions uh, that are a, a bit shifted um, Isabelle not only you were making the first statement but you're the first one of them to, to go through this sequence so I have to apologize for this um, you, 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 you sounded extremely positive uh and and you mentioned the good cooperation between the public and private sectors the the actors, uh, working hand in hand. i mean it sounds even a little bit too 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 positive uh really between you and me for real i mean what what's the what's the hold up here uh wh- why does it go faster in the end if everything all the all the lights are green
3: okay and now i'll be a bit less positive.
0: I'm speaking to the person.
3: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm still positive as a person. Now, effectively, um, one should not be, I would say, over optimistic. And um, it's true that um, it's easier said than than done in some aspects. Um, The first one that comes to my mind is um, resistance to change. Um, and here I'm speaking as an individual and I'm speaking as an entrepreneur as well. Um, Changing good old habits that have been deeply ingrained since childhood is very much of a challenge. And if we want to tackle this issue of climate change, I would say sufficiently efficiently, we need to change a lot. Of um, our habits. And that is not easy because we need to change so much. Um, we're really going into uncharted territory here. And that may be scary to many of us. And that also requires that we constantly keep in mind that we have to change those habits. And that is also very much a challenge. So that explains why it's difficult and it seems difficult also, but here I'm really relying on, you know, what I read from experts um, because technology is not up to speed yet, not in all sectors. And we need to change so much um, that we do not necessarily have all the necessary tools available Um, So that, of course, is something we do not control, but it's there. And we also have to do with that. And what is complicated as well is that, you know, as very often, experts do not always agree between themselves. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) the question is, you know, who should we be listening to? Okay, that is not easy. and. I also referred, and that will be, you know, my last reason or at least the last one that comes to mind, that very strongly link that um needs to be made between that needs or those needs for change and the needs of the economy. You know, ESG and the economy um, need to go hand in hand. And that is possible, okay, but it's not always easy.
0: It seems, if I if I uh, understand what you say, that it's going to be easier with, uh, uh, in the end, the finance sector than with the individuals. <laughs> yes,
3: yes. Well, um. that's,
0: that's a good thing because, uh, I mean, uh, we, we tend to think the other way around. So it's, it's, it's a good uh, Yes, it's a
3: good and thing. we should not forget that the individuals are the ones who really triggered that move. Okay, so the financial industry is now following. It's just following. And I just hope that, you know, individuals will now take the lead again. So they should behave
0: like they invest. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much for going through this first uh, This is not legal advice. Okay, it's time to move to the the second part of this uh, of this podcast. Uh, we'll have the pleasure to uh, to have a speech between uh, Julie Lardy and, and Stéphane Stefan Bade, uh, partner at Atarent Regulatory and Consulting. Stefan Bade has been uh, involved uh, in ESG uh, asset management for more than, than six years, uh, particularly particularly sorry on training and methodologies to be impl- implemented for asset managers. His background as a compliance officer. Uh, a professional link to to compliance uh, brings him a real added value on the subject of ESG, uh, which is clearly destined to become a a topic submitted to compliance. Uh, Julie, Stéphane, the stage is yours.
2: Thank you, Julien. After this dive into the regulatory aspect of ESG criteria, I'd like to discuss with you, Stéphane, their implementation and management. And here is the first question. How does it work in practice for asset managers?
4: Thank you, Julie. Um, so, uh, as you, know, Isabel, mentioned already, uh, I think the uh, asset manager community has not waited for regulations to launch ESG label product. Um, and in the absence, uh, in a way, of strict guidelines, but also with the presence of uh, multiple uh, guidelines or label, uh, they have all built their own uh, kind of methodology. So. Uh, I mean, if you want to simply put it, you can imagine like a scale. Uh, Isabel already referred to the, the 50 shades, and that's why we call the 50 shades of green, with uh, which is you know, the methodology which evolved around that scale from negative and exclusionary screening to, uh, I would say, impact investing. Then there's a tipping point around the concept of ESG integration. So um, at the lower side of the scale, if you want, there's the negative and exclusionary screening, which means that basically, you will exclude from the portfolio certain sectors, company, practice, uh, based on ESG criteria. So typically, you would say, I don't want to invoice, invest into oil company. Um, I mean, this is a, a methodology that now more and more institutional investors I will not recognize as strong enough to uh, to qualify uh, under DHD, but it's still accepted. And there was also uh, some nuance uh, around the fact, uh, you know, around the way you you're doing it. So and and regulators will still accept it um then you have the, the the best in class and positive screening so that's a little difference here you you're creating uh, your uh, a bulk of of company where uh, you want to uh, to invest so you, you you choose the sectors and you define a universe for positive ESG performance uh, relative to industry peers. And um, and this is you know typically a, a strategy where as an asset manager you will rely quite heavily on the data providers because they would be the one to say you know for this company they rate okay and so you can invest and that's you know for traditional stock picking, um, the you know and then, and then we have ESG integration which is I believe more advanced methodology and more committed methodology from the asset manager point of view. Um, I mean, you need to first think about a definition of your inv- ESG investment strategy to, uh, like, clear and not misleading ESG eligibility criteria and objective. Uh, and then, you know, once you have that in mind, uh, you need to um, define and you know, and, and design how this this strategy is going to be implemented through your investment process, and you know, which will be. Uh, embedded you know, with risk uh, considerations and you know, the notion also that uh, Isabel mentioned of the positive and the objective uh, that you need to deliver through your, your investment. And, and finally, uh, you know, uh, a very strong monitoring. I mean we already touch about it and I think Philip mentioned that these things will evolve and so you may be right at some point in time but you know that, that may change so uh, your know, adherence to the EHD uh, can be uh, can be a movi- moving target um, so you know obviously in, in that context in that type of environment the sourcing of you know uh, quality data will remain a, a challenge and uh, you know the the securities selections and, and the target selections will be based on on quantitative and, and some quali- qualitative assessments uh, will require as isabel mentioned your know, expertise in the in the analysis um, the also the other component, which I believe is is key for asset managers in that sector, is to uh, to put a long term uh, type of mindset uh, for you know, succeeding, and uh, you know they will also uh, need the time to see uh, the occurrence of negative events and see how that affects their their portfolio. So uh, your ESG integrations uh, is, you will be associated with strategies such as engagement, active shareholdings. Um, sustainability th- investing and, and and impact investing. Um, so there is a notion of you know corporate engagement, uh, which means employing shareholder power to influence the the corporate behavior. And uh, um, you may have heard in the news that you know some influential asset managers uh, are putting pressure on corporates, so the target company, uh, to remind them of their own ESG objectives or to uh, bring them into. Um, you know, the the right path uh, in, in light of, of ESG. So uh, you know, we, we can see this with oil company uh, which have engaged into zero carbon emissions activity under public and and your know, pressure from the shareholder and the shareholder in that case are, are the asset manager. Uh, so um, uh, you know, um, interestingly also you can see that this corporate engagement uh, can be done through uh, the discussions. Uh, board, um, with the management or through the exercise of, of voting rights. And, and, and there again, you have the regulations catching up because these are some themes and elements that are covered by the Shareholders' right Directive, which has been implemented in Luxembourg in August 2019. So so again, it's, uh, it's a combination of your uh, practice and then the regulations catching up, which bring us to uh, potentially where we want to be. Um, just um, you know, finally on, on impact investing, I think it's in, in important to make a, a, a distinctions here. And um, Contreras from from our home, uh, Hared, you would be very pleased that we we talked about them. I think you know this is I would say the most achieved uh, type of ESG investing, and um, it includes strategy with target investment, which aim at solving social or environmental problem. But um, here, I think there is these are, you know the, the the objective in terms of social and environmental uh, can be as much as important as the uh, the financial returns. And so they you know, in in the the process they put in place, uh, they really measure the, the impact uh, of the investments made. And uh, they, um, you know they, they um, this this is one of their, the, the key elements they're going to measure. Obviously, on top of of the financial return. So, uh, generally, when you know, we talk about ESG, we're actually uh, putting them a bit <laughs> outside of the of the group, uh, just because also in terms of size. I mean, we are not taking uh, talking at all about the same size of investment. Uh, yeah, when we talk ESG now, we you know we said really large asset manager, and we mentioned some of the figures that are going to be investing. So we are talking; it's a different ball game, I would say.
2: Uh, Just quickly, you uh, mentioned um, the uh, need, like the importance of the sourcing quality um, for ESG data, and um, my question is, is it uh, um, it the same, uh, is it true the same way, no matter the liquidity of the assets, or will it change depending on the, the liquidity of the assets?
4: no so you uh, you're right there they are clearly different uh, ways to uh, to do this and uh, the um uh, the data you're going to source uh, is, are going to be completely different whether you are an equity manager or if you are in the alternative so uh, equity managers, i believe will tend to, i mean some of them have built uh, your team of analysts uh, internally but no, not everyone will be in a position to recruit uh, ESG analysts. I don't think that the university will produce enough people to uh, feed the, these positions. So, if you are young, young people now, you join the, the the crew because there's going to be some some uh, some requests there. Um, and on the alternative, obviously, it's more you know, um, um, because the, po- the size of portfolio are generally smaller. Then you you have direct access and you can build your own. Data um, uh, provisions. It's so. It's it's a different different environment, Um you know. the, the also I think the um, the different strategies uh, and and methodology. As I said, you know, follow different standards, and um, and this is why we we talked about the regulators stepping in and bringing some uh, regulation. So to so to bring. Uh, everyone at the same level, at least in terms of what they disclose and what they, they will provide in terms of information on, on these methodologies specifically. Um, there they are also, um, as I mentioned before, there were some existing uh, standards that were uh, before um, and that's still uh, used by asset managers. So you know, I can mention the uh, UNPRI, so the UN Principle for Responsible Investment which is like a global reporting project on responsible investments. And they have a, developed a framework, which is a step-by-step information, on how to develop tools to enc- encourage responsible investments. Uh, and also, you know, the PRI provides like resources, research and education, and, and would facilitate the collaborations to help. So investors, asset managers, to align their responsible practice uh, with, you know, they're talking about the uh, the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goals of the EU but um you know, this is one of the um the principles that we see asset manager have been engaged with and uh, there are uh, some you work uh, once you are signatory uh, and that you are incorporating this factor into your your investments and ownership decisions um you know, then you, you have to a uh, methodology to follow um, and uh, you need to uh, determine the impact of the in- integrations on the fund's returns and to assess the importance of the ESG factor on performance through a sensitivity analysis um, also you as a signatory you have to uh, report on a on a regular on a regular basis on an annual basis um the the other uh, tools that uh, you know asset manager may use and uh, here i want to make some promotions to luxembourg but uh, it's a uh, you know labeling agency and in luxembourg we have uh, great labeling agency uh, with with lux flags or so, uh, the luxembourg finance labeling agency here and it's you know it's an independent labeling agency uh, which again aim at promoting the raising of capital for sustainable investments by awarding labels to eligible investment vehicles uh, and so the, the objective is, you know, is really to provide clarity and confidence to investment that these funds which are labeled uh, effectively do invest in the responsible investment sector um and there again theres, there's a process so you know an applicant yeah, it has to be different missile in, in any jurisdiction but it uh, needs to be subject to the same level of, of supervisions um or equivalent to uh, to the eu and um and and the labels are um, available for microfinance environments uh, climate finance and a more broad esg esg funds as well as as for green bonds um, so uh, you know, you must be uh, a usage or, or an IFM compliant and uh, if you qualify to that then you must describe your strategy and criteria as well as demonstrate how you integrate that again in in your investment process and um, and, and then you have an obligation to to screen I think hundred percent of your portfolio according to one of these, these strategy and standard and, and publish uh, your uh, an exclusion policy so uh, uh, all you know, all of this is submitted to uh, again some transparency uh, and methodology and review, uh, which is again go- going to com- be communicated to investors. So you know, you, you could see that outside of regulations, there were already things in place uh, that asset manager can use as tool to uh, to build these uh, these methodologies.
2: Thank you. Um, let's now. Jump to the next question, and this question, and I already apologize, it it seems a bit naive. But in the end, who defines the ESG criteria that will be evaluated? And of those three criteria, ES and G, is one or the other more easily measurable, more concrete and more reliable for the investor?
4: So uh, every company is going to decide on uh, the ESG criteria, I think, and maybe that's a approach that we can make to uh, um, asset manager sponsors now. I think it, it's very easily branded ESG where the reality, a lot of the, the funds we see, there's a big emphasis on the heat, on the environmental component. I'm not saying that they're not taking in considerations uh, social elements uh, or governance element, but they are kind of a you know, sub factor uh, into their into their policy. So, uh, and also, um, you, know, I think the uh, the environmental one. You answer your questions on on what is the most um, measured. I think the, the environmental one has received the most uh, attention. Uh, you know, the taxonomy, uh, as Man- Isabel mentioned, is this EU attempt. To defining what is green, uh, what economy, what economic activity, or uh, you know, not company but sector um, can be considered as sustainable, and for the moment environmentally sustainable. Uh, so um, you know, it's um, it's based on, on an overarching principle that any economic activity can be considered as sustainable if it significantly contributes to one of several of the environmental or social objectives set forth in the taxonomy. And, and you know, Isabel mentioned them, but just as a reminder, it's climate change adaptations, climate change mitigations. And, and again, with that concept of do not significant harm that Isabel explained. So there there is you know, uh, really a methodology that has been built. Uh, there are um, <laughs> yeah, the technicians that can put their heads at it and uh, you can build uh, your uh, portfolio and measure your portfolio against these these criteria so i mean that one is the one where as of today there is the, the most common language so um, and, uh, and i'm not saying that the other ones do not have your know, uh, uh, elements or, or or organisms that would report on it but uh, i think they have received a little bit less attention and at least at the eu uh, we have not started on the s and the g
2: from your point of view, uh, Stefan, what are the main challenges and the pitfalls to implementing ESG projects?
4: Um, maybe I'd like to come back to uh, you know your initial one of the questions when you asked w- what is the difference between liquidities and and other type of assets. And I think your uh, asset manager will probably face very different concerns whether you are investing into uh, liquid assets with a portfolio that you know, as a or, or quick quick rotations and uh, and when you are investing into uh, into alternative funds, so it, it's not uh, you know it's not the, um, the, the the same constraints that they're going to uh, to have um, for you know for the liquid funds also. That's why uh, we have this regulation also on benchmark that has been published because again here uh, we want to have um, tools that are put in place uh, for asset manager to make investments uh, easily. Uh, and the benchmark uh, with benchmark that will be uh, complying with certain regulations uh, can be invested in, I uh, would say in a relatively easy way. So uh, you know and, and they will you know, provide comparability and transparency again on on the way uh, on the way it's done. So uh, so I think this is something that uh, you know uh, liquid portfolio manager would probably uh, look at. Now the the pitfall for them uh, are going to be the data providers. Uh, we um, can see from the, the feedback uh, you, uh, in the news uh, that uh, some um, target company are rated differently depending on what data provider you are actually using. Um, so uh, obviously, uh, maybe uh, we'll see uh, now a uh, asset manager using Several, that, you know, uh, data providers, so that to make uh, an idea, a more precise idea of where the, the company starts. So that's going to be something that uh, you know they w- they will have to uh, to work with and uh, and understand. Um, the The other component, maybe for a liquid um, uh, asset manager, that might be a, an issue is the, the what I you know talked about, the engagement, the long termisms. Not all portfolios are built around uh, holding the asset for a long, long time. So uh, that also is something that they will have to to overcome and 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 review. Um, for for the alternative world, I think the the notion of sustainability risk was uh, in already uh, you know in their way they were managing the portfolio. I mean the example that uh, Isabel gave is you know is a very uh, interesting one. I think that. Uh, also, as of today, if you are uh, a real estate manager and you were investing into hotels, uh, I'm pretty sure that you're going to look at your uh, sanitary crisis as one of the elements that actually can make your investments going very sour. So, you know, these are the things that uh, I think they were already there and um, you know, the, the, the way social unrest or uh, governance uh, could affect the, the portfolio, the value of the portfolio that was there. The the complexity uh, and again Isabel mentioned it, is more around this adverse impact, um, which you know, requires defining how investment decision impact negatively the sustainability criteria. Um, and you, know, my view is that the, the key of successful integration of such onset will reside in a in a step by step approach. So um, you, know, asset managers should have obviously the means of their ambition, but should also be conscious that they may not be. Where they would like to be very quickly, uh, so it would require commitments uh, because that's going to be uh, quite a long journey. Um, and again, for me, you know, it's not uh, it's not an issue. Um, what is important that investors and stakeholders understand the objective, that you know, asset manager are transparent on how they achieve this objective, and uh, and then that you have the metrics uh, to to report. So, you know, the. The regulation um, standards are are being reviewed at the moment, which will complement the level one on the disclosure. There are heated debate around these criteria that needs to be taken into consideration for adverse impact. Um, There are interesting proposals that are made by the asset management community to say, hey guys, these are the criteria that we'd like to see and that we know we're going to be able to report on. Uh, And again, uh, you hopefully, the, the, the regulators may, may hear that and, and make something that, that works. Because if it works, uh, if we are successful and the asset manager is successful and thinks that you know, that can be integrated easily, then you know, it's the road to, uh, to success.
2: Thank you, Stefan. Um, we now have to hurry up a bit uh, because we are slowly starting being late. So we'll go ahead with you, Julien. And thank you, Stefan.
0: this is not a legal advice yes welcome to this second uh, this is not a legal advice sequence and actually this is not a legal advice because uh, Stefan is not a lawyer but still you're gonna have to do the same exercise uh, leave for a moment your your function and, and your duty of reserve uh, and and ask I mean an answer from your heart so um, for you Stefan it's it's all about completing sentences so it's it's quite easy I do the beginning and and you do the rest. Um, so, to avoid ESG to be only a polish, one should…
4: Uh, walk the talk, so uh, make sure that uh, whatever uh, you're going to say uh, can be effectively substantiated by procedures, process and the demonstration that this is effectively done. And, you know, start small, and there's no, no worry.
0: Let's, let's say you cheated a bit. I'd <laughs> say, you should finish the sentence, not make three sentences afterwards. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but walk the talk was great. Um, the first thing to do for an asset manager to embrace ESG is? Uh, get trained. Great. Uh, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, a small step in ESG
4: is? uh Em- embracing the topic and uh, um, and and maybe uh, starting to uh, go to uh, some of the uh, uh, listening to some of the uh, Arendt uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a bit cheating, but that's good. And and last but not least, my favourite, my favorite criteria in ESG is and this is a personal answer.
4: Um, I think it's uh, around water and ocean cleaning. Sorry, that's not one sentence, but. Uh, it's good, uh, it's I, good. Uh,
0: it's good enough. Thank you very much, Stefan. So it's time to move to the to the third and, and last but not uh, least part of this uh, podcast, uh, CEO of RN Business Advisory, the economic and financial management and consulting arm of the RN Group, and with a solid experience in your renewable energies, Philippe Verri has been working on this issue of the ESG criteria since his arrival at the Group. His current reflection on the subject focuses in particular on detailed reporting within organizations. Uh, It is his singular and experienced vision that will benefit this discussion on this first episode and this third part. Ladies and gentlemen, Julie Lardy and Philippe Berry.
2: Thank you, Julien. One thing leading to another, let's now turn our attention to the sensitive issue of data reporting and the question of metrics, briefly mentioned by Stéphane. Philippe, why do we speak about the golden age of ESG data
1: well I have to come back to the to the origin of this podcast because we we were thinking to name it uh, the golden age of ESG data. And uh, in history we speak about golden age for periods blessed with abundancy and peaceful living. This golden age of ESG data that I believe will will come and we are at the dawn of it is used because many others like me believe that in the next decade and I would even put a nest to decade so the next decades ESG related activities uh, Senso Largo said um, will uh, will be um, reinvigorating the economy and supporting a new abundant and positive period so you see I share the optimism of my colleagues on, on, on these aspects um, and this will be to try transforming for the better but while not changing it and that's very important our societal system with a growing layer of ethic societal awareness and green respectful behaviors so we believe in change let's say
2: why do you say not really changing it
1: well because people must not be fooled and i think transparency that we talk a lot about needs to be also clearly said in this aspect all what happens and i've been involved in 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 green energy and all all what the states has done the last 15 years I mean, we, we want to change the society, and but we will not change the system. What we do now with ESG is not getting rid of capitalism and getting rid of the perpetual growth as the underlying criteria for capitalism, which is okay. I mean, I have absolutely no feeling against it, no problem. But it needs to be said. It's not like we are changing the world in every aspect. We are trying to use the current system that is still in place and we, we don't know how, how long, and most probably long, uh, and we, we try to to improve and to get better using the system. And this uh, very large initiative of ESG in the financial world is really a, a good opportunity to do so.
2: So according to you, this golden age of ESG data will last?
1: Yes, absolutely, it will last. I said uh, I think it's, it will take some decades. Um, if you look back, I mean... Um, Every industry needs data to, to perform well. Uh, and basically, uh, to properly run, an industry must rely on a set of relevant, replicable, consistent, usable, comparable, and quality data. So, data in ESG is today an infant. Um, it's it's new, it needs to learn, to grow, to experiment and within time to reach a certain maturity and stability that we have already known and faced with financial reporting. So mastering data collection, data control and reporting for all those on financial metrics will take time to be reached but it will become essential uh, in the same time to ensure some competitive advantage. So I explain, when everyone and we all believe that the majority of asset managers will come uh, to, let's say, use the SG criteria as a, as a big criteria in their uh, investment decision. Then, how to make the difference between all of them? The data is one of the uh, elements that could make the difference, mastering the data. Um, so, then they will be able to differentiate. Um, and uh, I would state even that uh, it's not even the golden age, but I think in the next some years it will be the, like the gold rush you know, that we faced 170 years ago in California. So but that will be the gold rush for data. So just to, to finish on this, I think that the challenge here is to run faster. Uh, than the other ones, and better to develop the most relevant set of non-financial data and more mastering the ability to collect it properly uh, and that will mobilize energy people resources, and that will not take six months
2: you compare the quest for data to the gold rush is uh, is this a fight
1: no, I think absolutely uh, and it's already a fight it's already a war let's let, let's call it the data war i mean um the point it has already begun because uh, you have seen a lot of major financial data provider, and even new major player in non-financial data providing, just emerging. And those global players, whatever, from Morningstar, Bloom, Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters, Sustainalytics, and, and all those global players have well understood the potential benefit of expanding into non-financial data. Um, and they've all they've developed their offer to the market. Stefan has just said very, very truly, the problem is that methodologies are different, um, benchmarks may be different so who to believe, how to select it and so for the moment we just use many of them. So the, the challenge behind all those initiatives uh, will be to ensure at the end of the journey that the frameworks and the methodology are comparable and transparent. Uh, at least that we can easily understand why results could be different according to the global framework used. Uh, today, we have seen statistics that say that results can vary up to 50% depending on the framework used. So harmonization will be a key for the future.
2: Definitely. Uh, but this, uh, this being said, what are, according to you, to the challenges in ESG implementation?
1: Well, there are, we need to see that uh, there is, uh, three positions here. There is the asset manager position, there is the manager of the asset also, which is a little bit different, um, and, and, and the investor, uh, whether it is institutional or public. So if I look to some questions and concerns that we, we, we should find answer to at the asset manager level is, for example, uh, what do I have to monitor and implement to be ASG compliant, which was basically what Stefan was talking about, taxonomies, regulations, and so on and so forth. We could also ask the question how to compare between my assets. Because there is um, a heated, heated debate now about comparability. Do we have to compare between assets? Can we compare between assets? Will it be possible to do so? Um, the third one, for example, they could raise uh, as concern is how to ensure that true and quality data is provided by companies. Because it's um, it's great to rely on data, but how to control the 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 reality of this data and it's even more than that because when we talk about adverse impact it's not only do do we get the right data but do we get the data on what we should get the data on and that's a little bit different so at companies level for example we can answer some concerns and that are the challenges why what should we measure I would like to come back to to, to what Stefan said um, My opinion, having worked a lot with the the, the underlying assets, so the companies uh, in alternatives, This is also a strategic project for a company to implement non-financial reporting. Um, We are very well done in financial reporting. Since 20 years, we have implemented things like balance scorecard, which was enlarging the reporting abilities. And now we we would like to implement non-financial reporting. It is a strategic project for a company, and that is a challenge. And the way, in my opinion, to cope it, of course, could be through uh, voting rights. But the best would be through collaboration between the asset manager and the manager of the asset to make that strategic intent align. Because I, I truly believe, believe to, to speed up the process that um, alignment will be, will be necessary. So companies would also say, OK, how to build an ESG reporting that helps not only my uh, investor, but would help also my organization. Um, I mean, the, the aggregated metrics that we, we could provide to, uh, to the market is certainly not usable uh, in, in all the departments of a company and all the subsidiaries of a company. It needs to be uh, at, a, at another granular level. Um, and, of course, a company needs to know how to build a, a data repository that is really reliable. And if we look to the investor level, I mean, we have challenges too. How uh, I am sure that uh, my investments are ESG compliant? I mean, okay, it is said so, but how do I control the reality of that? Um, Where comes from the the data? What is the quality of the data? What is the reliability of it? Um, And then it raises the next challenge, how to select my future investment knowing that. So there are many, many challenges at at the, 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 the players' level.
2: And if we focus on the data level, what would be, according to you, the main challenges and rules to to consider? So,
1: yeah, here I would say that again. I will. I will just talk about the at the asset level. I would say um, there are many, many rules. I, I would not go in detail to everything, but there are many rules, and some are more important. And the first one is monitoring what matters. I mean, it's it's. Um, it's incre- I mean, since, since 20 years, I was teaching about reporting in, in, in business school and I was looking to the, to the works of uh, very, very well-established companies and we are monitoring from time to time things that have absolutely no use. And when you look to the, to, to the percentage of reporting used, it's maybe 50, 60%. So the first thing is that when we enter into this kind of project of building a non-financial reporting plan, as it's a strategic project, we need to define what really matters. What do we want to measure? We have said for the moment it's the E part that is mainly measured, but why maybe we would like to measure the the G part, the governance part. When we talk about gender equality, for example, uh, it's very simple to put measurement and metrics uh, over gender equality, so why not doing it? And the answer is very simple, because we don't want to do it. In a strategic plan, that's the point. Um, for societal, I would I would say another thing that is a bit a bit more complicated. Um, but first, monitor what matters to you, and the matters to you is maybe to you or to your investors, and both can be c- compatible. Um, to do that, you have of course, Stefan told it also, uh, existing taxonomies uh, as well as benchmark and labels. That's great. Again, at asset management level, it's great, it, it, it eases your work and um, uh, and it helps you. At company's level, it's very interesting, but it's not usable. And that's not the, the purpose of it. I mean, it's just um, something to guide you into what you should, let's say, have as an outcome. But in at company's level, it needs to be more detailed, to be usable by everyone and accepted by everyone. Uh, So the first challenge here is then to try to measure what really matters, and to do so, this requires launching a real strategic project within the organization. The second one is ensure data consistency. Um, It's very nice to have data, but if the data is not replicable, uh, it's not consistent, it's not comparable, then you will face a problem for the analysis. Um, Again, um, I mean... I don't mind if you want. I mean, I have, I have no feelings, uh, neither bad or good feelings, about the fact that you may just want to be ESG compliant and put that on your website. I mean, okay, go, great. I mean, I think every small step is a good step, so that, that's the point. Um, but if you want something that is really used uh, and 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 be able to to be developed in a good way, when regulation will be more stringent and when the investor will be more. Re- requiring uh, then you need to ensure that data consistency from the beginning um, let's have an example about water consumption. you talk about oceans I will talk also about water if you don't mind um, at asset manager level the, the 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 ratio between water consumed and recycled could be interesting and it's very interesting at company level I mean if there are let's say 12 sub-processes and each sub-process is uh, consuming water, you don't care about the global view, you want to have the specialized view. You will have a ratio about consume water and recycle water per sub-process. So that's a way to align the interest of the asset manager and the manager of the asset. So the, the third one is you have to monitor what is material. Don't make ratios to monitor peanuts things. I'm really sorry to tell that that way. Um, But uh, that's why usually in projects we build what we call a materiality matrix. So we have seen all the elements we would like in the strategic project to measure and then we decide which one has the more relevant in the first phase. Um, Because we we have also to remind that the scope of ESG is is pretty large Um, and it's very, very much larger than financial reporting. So we need to make priority. The, the, The fourth one is... Data needs uh, to be qualitative, recurring, stable, and replicable. There is one very well-known rule in the data world since decades, which is called GIGO. Um, I usually make a joke because GIGO is like for for lamb, and I I, I make a joke with cooking. I will not have the time today. But anyway, the GIGO principle is very interesting. Um, It's garbage in, garbage out. In every intelligent system that is using data, when you enter crap data, don't expect to get out good results. So You will only get crap results. That's why, again, small steps are better than being willing to be perfect. You certainly have to decide which data you are totally sure is reliable and stable and use them and maybe not having all the reporting you like. And this, the next step maybe is to improving another data source. Then the, the fifth one is Um, monitoring what you can influence at asset level I'm I'm talking about the asset level I mean I've seen reporting where the um, ECB uh, interest rate was was, was a ratio in in reporting well I'm I'm very happy that someone can influence that but that's a rule I mean you just monitor what you can influence because then you can give responsibilities and someone can be objectivized uh, on, on the improvement of the ratio Um, A comment, no, because data can be very deceptive. Um, One of the biggest challenges I see in the next years is to find intelligent and, uh, let's say, um, efficient ways to control the data that will be provided up the value chain. Um, because the data now that we are talking about is not only the company data, it will be also the stakeholders' data. So you will ask your supplier as a company to give you data that will allow you to build your own ratio and to prove that you are ESG compliant. So it means it's not only your own responsibility, it's the responsibility of someone else, you have no influence in it, which is a little bit contradictory to my previous principle, but that is an obligation here. So everything relies on trust c- and control so what i was i'm expecting um, as regulation in the future on that field is to have more stringent uh, obligation of auditing for data and 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 publicity of and transparency of those those auditing last one I think it will be for, let's say, longer future. But usually we say in modern reporting that we should try to have as much predictive data as possible. It's very interesting to see and to to monitor the past. It's tremendously more interesting to monitor the future. So in my wa- water consumption um, example, of course, I can give the water consumption and the rec- recycling. But if I could put, you know, some indicator, some metrics that says those are the the triggers to the water consumption, then we are beginning to be predictive. What is interesting in being predictive is that the people that will be able to do so, they will be ahead in terms of investment selection and looking what kind of risk and uh, reputational risk that that could come. And that's very important to build that in the reporting.
2: Thank you, Philippe. Um, So that's where the seven golden rules uh, to consider when implementing e- e- ESG, I'd have a, a last question for for you, Philippe. Um, what is the parallel between financial and ESG reporting? In the end?
1: Well, Julie, I think I said it a little bit before. ESG reporting is is, is a child, it's an infant, uh, when financial reporting is a very mature and adult uh, um, adult person. Um, also, financial reporting relies on very detailed accounting techniques comparable since years, quite well adaptable between geographical areas and comparable between them, and used by every company to report um, and by every investor to analyze an asset. So we have um, a common ground that is um, you know, used since years. Um, That is a big challenge for the ESG part of course. So as it is stable in time, repeatable, comparable and quite qualitative. Um, And also thanks to the auditing obligation uh, and all the professional standards that has been put on top of that. There is no perfect system, and we have seen with a lot of cases that even financial reporting can be deceiving, but it's a very, very small margin of it. So uh, the second wave was uh, 20 years ago, um, I was teaching 15 years ago balance scorecard. So Balance Scorecard was invented by Kaplan and Norton and was a way to present reporting with, very, very, um, um, with metrics that were not only financial, so marketing metrics, sales metrics, HR metrics. It has been pushed since 20 years. It's, it has become, whatever the name we take, there are many other um, theories of this kind of reporting, but at the end of the day, it's 20 years it has been pushed. Uh, in the companies. So there is a a, a background there. Um, So because of that, a certain level of robustness and stability has been reached and has been proven. And then we come to the next wave. The next wave is this pure, from qualitative, subjective and quantitative reporting that will be embedded in this non-financial reporting for ESG purpose. Um, And that is covering so much larger uh, areas and metrics. So again, then it will it will be I think the same path we will come to something robust but it will take time
2: thank you Philippe for those detailed answers that were um, the the last answer was almost a kind of conclusion and uh, we will I think go ahead with uh, with Julien for the last sequence with you Philippe as well
0: This is not a legal advice. Yes, and this is still not a legal advice because uh, we do something at uh, RN today and I only have one lawyer, so I'm, I'm quite disappointed. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you still have to answer it with your heart and, 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 and put aside your, your duty of reserve. Um, for you, Philippe, as, as you seem a bit talkative, um, you, you will have to answer yes or no. So the, the, the principle of neither yes nor no but in reverse so it's 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 quite easy i know it's it's hard but you you're, you're going to have to answer yes or no is the growth of esg compatible with the global economic growth yes well wow, well done because you no no hesitation when it comes to criteria is comparison reason
1: <laughs> <laughs> um uh, no, <laughs> 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 not always. I would have said. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you wanted to say not
0: always. Yes, uh, but in is is mori- monitoring all that data something costly? No. And and I give you uh, I, I I give you something to open it. Is it an investment? Yes. You see, I understood <laughs> where you wanted to go. Thank <laughs> you very much for answering and and respecting fully the rule. Thank you. Well, uh, I think uh, we've come to the, the conclusion of this uh, first uh, podcast. Before closing uh, p- closing it, I want to give uh, all our speakers the opportunity to conclude, each with a, with a sentence, um, so it's more than a yes, yes or a no, uh, but try to stick to a sentence. And uh, as you were always the first to speak, Isabelle, I'm, I'm sorry, we'll have to start with you. What is your conclusion sentence? Uh,
3: just one sentence. Hmm, that's a challenge. Um I would say this: um, ESG can only work to the extent it proves to be positive for our society, for us as individuals, and for our economy, our businesses. And the strong link between these three elements should never, never be overlooked.
0: Thank you very much, Stefan. Your second.
4: Uh, maybe more close to our uh, Luxembourg market, uh, my uh, sentence would be compliance officer of this world, uh, people which are monitoring and overseeing asset managers, do get trained and uh, learn about this because this is not going to go away and uh, it will come to your plate at some point or another.
0: Thank you very much, Philippe. You have the hardest one because they already made conclusions. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I would say that um, a small step together here is better than no step alone.
0: Well, this is going to be the the conclusion. Thank you very much to the three of you for for being with us uh, tonight. Thank you. Thank was you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you obviously to to Arendt for welcoming us. It was a pleasure to be here at Arendt House. Uh, you you can't see us but we 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 are here in the in the auditorium. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And uh, I give you an appointment in uh, in the in the next autumn for the for the next episode of Arendt We Live. Good evening everyone. Thank you very much. Oh, 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 oh,